Well, we're going to open up the Holy Scriptures. You know, it's nice that uh, we have a hymn book, and we have uh, beautiful hymns. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about uh, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, that song. We ended up singing it at the end of the service. So the song that was picked for today was... um, so sweet to trust in Jesus. And what are we trusting in? The first line of that hymn that we sang earlier was to just take him at his word. You know, it's very hard today to take just anybody at their word. You know, whether we're intentional with it or not, you know, we make statements and then we have a tough time following through with them a lot of times. Uh, we might have uh, the best at heart, we, will, we want to do th- certain things, but sometimes we overcommit to things. And, um, I, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I keep saying a couple weeks, last week Elwood was here, so the last sermon that I did was a couple weeks ago, and it was Cain and Abel and Abel trusting what God said. See, you know, sometimes we get... We get uh, we can get kind of aggravated with our kids because they don't they they seem to be rebellious and they just won't listen to what we say and sometimes you got to sit them down and remind them that there's no other person on the face of this earth that loves you more so what i'm trying to say to you is because i love you jesus is trying to speak to us He loves you like no one else can. So let him speak to you today. So we've been going through Hebrews, but we're really not going to be in Hebrews now. We're just going to be talking about a person that Hebrews mentions. And like I said, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Cain and Abel. And I figured by today, I would be moving on to Enoch. And that was the plan. And you know, if I would have preached last week, I may have preached on Enoch. But something just kept pulling at me. Sometimes we don't want to dwell on the bad things, but the bad things are in the Bible. You know, Jesus warned way more about hell than he talked about heaven. So we can't not talk about certain things. And so the, the next person that we really need to talk about is Cain. I mean, we talked a little bit about him, but there's so much more that we need to be warned about. The Bible talks about the way of Cain that's in, that's in Jude. We, we also have in 1 John 3.12, talks about loving your neighbor, but don't be like Cain who killed his brother. And so he's in, he's in some different places. So let's read, let's, I'm going to read out of uh, Genesis to start with. That's where we were a couple weeks ago. But starting in Genesis 4. Now, leading, this is Genesis 4, and I'm going to start reading over here in 16, but I want you to look at something over in verse 8 that we read last time, a couple weeks ago. In verse 8 it says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. 
That's premeditated. He thought it through. You know, we have different uh, degrees of murder in our law system, and for good reason. This is premeditated right here. That's why it was so bad. And when God came down and asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain had a kind of a smart remark. I mean, this is God Almighty. And he says, I don't know. I mean, am I my brother's keeper? Cain had an opportunity to fix things right there. But he didn't. He turned away and he went his own way. Now over in 16 it says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city. Now this is not the Enoch that I would have been preaching about last week. This is the son that was born to Cain, and his name was Enoch. Now, when things first start out, you have some similarities. When you get down to uh, Enoch's kids uh, and grandkids, you actually, if you, if you notice in 18, there's some names that would be really hard to pronounce, and, and I try, I do my best sometimes. And you see, you'll see that they uh, end in E-L. That means that God was still attached to them somewhat but it doesn't take long, and that leaves them. You know, a, a civilization... See, Cain went and built the first civilization of the world. That's what he did. You know, mankind can be very proud of themselves. They come up with some amazing things, some amazing e inventions. So they built a city. What good happens in cities? Very little, right? This city that they built... Think about the city of Babel, and they built the great tower, and God had to come down and disperse them all. Think about the great city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah. What good happened there? Think about Los Angeles, Chicago, New York City. What good happens there? Very little good happens in those places. So man will build a big city. And they will build those towers. And sometimes those towers come crumbling down. So this is not the Enoch that is seventh from Adam that we will read about and talk about hopefully next week. This is a different one. And as you read down through here, you see where the descendants of Cain, they did things, and there were things that could be commended. They learned how to build dwelling places. They learned how to have a big ranch and have all kinds of livestock. And uh, even, even uh, such as handled the harp and the organ. That's where musical instruments came from there. Maybe that's why the Church of Christ, they won't allow instruments in their church. Only singing, no instruments. Maybe it's because of this right here. Well, they still live in houses. They still have all of the other things of life. And there's too many other places in our Bible that talk about the instruments that are to be played in the worship. There's also a Lamech here in this, in this uh, story of the first civilization, which that is not the Lamech that's on the line of Seth. So just, just so you know what he did. And he lived, 
and produced a great civilization, and then they were all wiped out when the flood happened. They were all wiped out. So now let's go to uh, let's go over to Jude. Now we're going all the way to the other end of your Bible. Right before Revelation is uh, the little book of Jude. Now some things that we need to know about Cain. I, t- I touched on it um, a couple weeks ago. And we're going we're to just talk a little bit about Cain. Now in verse 11 of Jude, it says, uh, talking about the evil... And then it says, in 11, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have gone in the way of Cain. Now, what is the way of Cain? Now, the way of Cain is, you, you need to remember something very important. He was actually a religious man. Think about that. He brought an offering to the Lord. He wasn't somebody who was totally distant that never came around for anything that has to do with God. He was actually a religious man. But what he did was he substituted human reasoning for divine revelation. You know, the simple word of God. He was more into what made sense to him in his human mind because, you know, the gospel, it's, it's it's foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to the wise, but it's the saving of the soul who believes it like a little child. He substituted the beautiful things. We, we have to be careful uh, about putting too much emphasis on a church building and how wonderful it looks and all of the fancy things that you do inside to catch the eye. You know, Cain, that's what he did when he brought his offering to the Lord. It was all the finest fruits and vegetables, all those things that he worked for. Abel simply took a little innocent lamb and shed his blood, quartered it up to be burned on the altar, and that was gruesome. It wasn't pretty to the eyes. So Cain, being a religious man, he substituted beauty the things that please the human eye uh, to get away from the gruesome blood of Jesus. That's what he was doing. He also substituted effort, trying. I'm, you know, I'm trying to do good. You hear people say it all the time. I'm trying to do better. I'll try to make it to church. I'll try to read more of the Bible. And that's, that's human effort, and you're trying. Well, how about not substituting trying with trusting? Just trust in Jesus and His finished work. And, instead, and when you do, when you, when you truly understand the importance of, of the shed blood of Jesus, and you, and you really have a saving faith in Him, then you will want to do those things. You will want to go to church and be with other believers. You will want to open up your Bibles and read it. You will have a want. It won't be something that, oh, i got to do this. You know, it's great if you're at that place. If you've got to do it, do it. But it wouldn't be better 
if you just enjoyed getting up and getting hold of your Bible and reading what the Word of God says. That would be better, way better. So trust, and then he substituted feelings for facts. Well, I just don't feel like it. I don't, you know, it feels better to do this. Well, the facts that are in the Bible, is one of our founding fathers, I can't remember, it might have been John Adams, he said, uh, facts are stubborn things. Facts are stubborn things. And we need to remember that the Bible could just be a bunch of facts. And, may, and, and it may not ever benefit you, because if you treat it just as a book of facts, now, facts are better than feelings, but if all you have is the facts, and you don't have the truth, you know, you think, well, facts and truth are the same thing. Not necessarily. You know, I've made this, made this illustration before. You can have the greatest cookbook with all those recipes, and it's a bunch of facts. But do you ever use it and put all those things together and make the meal that you eat? Do you ever eat it, or do you just have a cookbook full of amazing recipes? See, we treat the Bible that way. We, yeah, here's my Bible. It's got all kinds of great facts in it. It's awesome, but do we ever take that and put it together and eat it? Put truth to it. Actually apply it to our life. Do we ever do that? Now, what happened with Cain? By going the way of Cain, he became a... Now, he wasn't just a religious man, but he, was a, he ended up being a very resentful man. He resented Abel so bad that he ended up killing him. You know, Cain is the father of all false religions of the world. All other religions of the world... Now, Christianity, or what we call Christendom, has got a lot of bad along with it. I'm not saying that it's perfect, because most of the people who call themselves Christians, they're only Christians in name only. You understand that? We have a whole lot of people in the past that have, have taken on the name of Christian and gone out and killed people. The great crusades of the Spanish Inquisition, there's a lot, and, and unbelievers, they're always pulling that up. See what you Christians did? Well, they weren't true Christians. Because a true Christian wouldn't have repaid evil with evil. But there are times when Christians have to defend themselves. You know, in Europe, the Muslims were coming from North Africa and they were invading Europe. You have to protect yourself. So self-defense is way different than going out after and conquering for revenge. It's way different. You know, people forget that the white people of Europe became slaves in northern Africa to the Muslims. People forget all about that. It's a real thing. So yeah, we can fight, and we need to have more men who are willing to fight. But that same strong man, like uh, Captain John Smith, who fought hand-to-hand -hand combat with Muslims. It was like a David and Goliath event. And the Muslims, they were, they were uh, you know, John Smith had gone in, and he's the famous one that came over to America, and 
he, they were going into this city, and I can't remember what city it was, but he noticed as he went into the city that had been taken over by the Muslims, there was a bunch of heads hanging from the wall. That's what Muslims like to do. They like to go in and torture and make a statement where you'll fear them. And he's just looking at these heads, he's like, hmm, they got a fascination with that. So when they were kind of at a stalemate, one of the, the Muslim people said, we're going to send out our strong man, you send your strong man out, and they're going to fight, like entertainment. And he went out there, and John, John, Captain John Smith, he, he won the fight. And he took the head off the guy. He's like, they got a fascination with it. So they sent out another one. He's probably tired now after fighting, so he sent out another one, and he did the same thing to the next guy. And they sent out a third one. He did the same thing to him. After the third time, they decided, we need to leave this guy alone. So there needs to be manly men in the church. There need to be manly men who will protect. We're losing that. But if you have a strong man like that, a man who is able to do something like that, don't you hope that he has the love of Jesus Christ in his heart, or he won't use that for evil, but will only use it to protect. Now, the way of Cain, it lead, that resentfulness leads to intolerance. You know, I, I shared during, the, uh, during, during Joy's concerns about what has become intolerant in America. We, ha we have become tolerant of all kinds of sinful things as a nation. And in the process of that, we have become intolerant of Christianity. And I'm talking true Christianity we become very intolerant of it. So the people that have hollered for tolerance for so long have now become very intolerant of Christianity. Bible-believing people, they don't like you. What that leads to is the hardening of the heart. And that's what happened to Cain. He, he, he walked away from God, he left, and the more he stayed away, the harder the heart got. And the longer you live in this world, the more you allow your heart to be hardened, the less likely you're ever going to turn to him. That is the way, to, the way of Cain. Again, he is the father of all false religions of the world. All the false religions focus on what do you do. Christianity, true Christianity, focuses on what did Jesus do for you, okay? Now, if you go the way of Cain, you're going to end up running greedily. This is Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Jude 1, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. And when you go into the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam, for reward. Balaam was on speaking terms with God Almighty. Talk to him. But Balaam was a prophet for hire. He, it, it's very good that they says, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And then what does that do? And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, Korah is a very sad story. 
of people who rose up against Moses and Aaron, and they got a bunch of group, a bunch of people to join them. And Moses went to them and said, "Look, it's it's time for you to repent of your evil ways. You need to come back to God." And they refused, and the earth opened up and swallowed them in. You know, there's going to be a day that we'll talk about more next week. Uh, you know how. The other Enoch, the good Enoch, uh, was translated. He was just taken out of here. He was not going to see death. God took him. Well, these people of Korah, the ones that followed him, they didn't even have to die first to go to hell. The earth opened up and swallowed them down. Go to hell. Don't have to die first. If you go the way of Cain, that's where you'll end up. If you go the way of Cain, you will eventually be uh, going running greedily after the error of Balaam, and then you will end up perished, perished forever. If you want to read more about Balaam, that's, an, that's a great story in Numbers. Uh, you'll see the talking, talking donkey there, a donkey that was more spiritually minded than uh, Balaam way more spiritually minded. Don't be outdone by a dumb donkey. All right, now, a couple weeks, um, actually a month ago, one month ago, we had, we had uh, communion service. And it, di- it didn't go well, and I apologize for that. We had some people here from Nebraska. It seems like that was a lot longer ago, but you know, I had a lot that I wanted, and that's the way I am. You, if you knew the things that I don't talk about, the things that I want to, I see things and I get so excited. You know, it's great that we have Wednesday night. Awesome that we have Wednesday night. I, I'm able to get more out. It's great that I'm back at the jail on Tuesday night for Bible study. I can, I can give more there. So it's good, but... There are so many things that I want to share. And sometimes, you know, if you do that, you just overload our simple minds and you can't take it all in. So, um, that day, there was a lot of things I wanted to preach about. There were certain people here that I really wanted to hear a certain thing. Um, and it got to where I felt a little pressured at the end because we were going a little long. Now, there's something that did happen in, in that service that uh, some people made note of. They, they, they were telling, you know, different people talking to me about it. And uh, one of the statements was, you made it sound like you didn't feel worthy to do communion. Now, that's exactly the point. I'm glad that you noticed it. I'm so glad that you noticed that because that is what I was trying to get across. I am a nobody when it comes to the Lord's Supper. I am to diminish myself as much as possible in it. I'm not inviting you to come to the Lord's table. It's between you and Jesus Christ. Jesus is inviting you to come to the table. And, you know, I did a poor job last week, I mean last month. 
I did a poor job of the whole communion service. In my efforts to try to diminish myself, it just didn't go very well, and I'm, and I'm sorry for that. But here's some, here's some things that we really need to think about when we, when we are talking about the Lord's Supper. It should be a place of obedience to the Word of God. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said to do it, so it needs to be a place of obedience. Think about that. It needs to be a place of unity. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he uh, had everybody sit down, and he had his disciples come up and take the bread and the fishes, and they took it out, and they were able to feed everybody. So, yeah, there's an order to things. We're, we're, we're to have some order to it. And the disciples carried out. Now, I want you to be thinking about, you, you're going to be the people sitting there in the grass waiting to be served, but you're also the disciples that Jesus has given you the bread of life. And you're to take it out to those people who are out there that need it. So we've got to think about how we are all of these things. We're, I'm going to, when we do communion later, uh, I'm going to have a couple people come up and, and we're going to serve it. I want, now, it, do not feel pressured to take it. You don't have to. You're very welcome. Anybody here is very welcome. I don't know where you stand personally with Jesus, but I do need to warn you that you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to take it unworthily. You're not supposed to take it just because everybody else is doing it, okay? And you don't have to take communion. Don't feel pressured in it. So it will be passed out. Everybody, if you choose, you can take a piece of bread, you take one of the cups, and then we will hold it, and then all together we'll, we'll eat the bread and we'll drink the juice. We will do that. But again, you do not have to take it if you don't want to. If, if, uh, hopefully, uh, by the time we get to that point, you will have made a decision that you want to follow Jesus that you're going to call out to him, and he'll save you if you're not already, and you will feel like, I want to do this. I want to eat the bread. I want to drink the blood of Jesus. Now, that sounds crude, to eat his body and to drink his blood. It sounds crude. Um, you know, we are to, we, in 1 Peter Chapter 2, it talks about how you are a priesthood. You, personally. What Israel represented for all those years, we have become. Not that God's done away with Israel. Now, he's got plans for them. But we, as the church, have become the bride of Christ. We are... We, see, you ever wondered why the Catholic Church is so popular? Think about the Catholic Church and how popular it is. Why is that? Because most people want a person to go to God for them. Look at the nation of Israel. Moses, will you go talk to God for us? And then they wanted to go hide. And Moses did. Now in the Catholic Church, you have a pope, and then you've got priests, and you go to the priest, and, the, and, and you're actually told in the Catholic Church, I've had Catholics tell me that they grew up in the Catholic Church and they never once were told to read their Bibles. That it's too, it's too lofty and you can't understand it. You need a priest to interpret it for you. 
That's dangerous. So, but that's the nature of humans. We want somebody else to go to God for us. You know, I'm, I'm here as a minister to lead you to Jesus, and I'm done as far as leading you to Jesus. Now, I will help equip the saints to go out into the world, but I don't want people looking to me and depending on me. I want you to depend on the Word of God. All the answers are in here, and most importantly, to bow down and submit yourself to Jesus Christ. And we'll be brothers and sisters together. God has an order to things. The husband is, is to be the head of the household. Children are to obey the, the parents. I mean, the kid can be smarter than the parents, but you know what? The Word of God says you obey your parents. Wife, you might be more spiritual and better able to do things than your husband. Well, the Word of God says he's to lead the house. Let him do it. And husband, you're supposed to be willing to die for your wife like Christ died for the church. Are you man enough to do that? That's the order of things, and we honor the order of things. So to finish up, we'll, uh, let's turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to read a few things out of John, and then we are going to take the elements, and we will hand them out. Oh, I want you, also, I want you to think about something. All right, we're in John 6, okay? But over in John 15, when it's talking about Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, and we need to be connected to the vine. If you're not connected to the vine, you're going to wither up as a branch, just good to be, to be thrown into the fire. If you're not connected with Jesus, eventually you're going to wither up, and you will be thrown into hell, the fire. That's what it's talking about. Now, when you get down to verse 16 of, this is, this is chapter 15, verse 16. Just listen, because you should be over in 6. It says, it, it finally, after it talks about uh, not being connected and being a withered up branch to be cast into the fire, it talks about uh, something we talked about this past Wednesday was, uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And right here in John... It says it again. It says, in 10, it says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then, as you go, uh, 13, uh, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then, this is where Jesus doesn't want to call us servants anymore. He wants to call us friends. And he says, ye are my friends, if ye, do, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Do you trust him? And then he says, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant, the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. That'd be like the Catholic Church saying, you don't know. You don't need to know. No, I'm telling you what Jesus is telling you right here in the Word. You are now a friend if you believe on Him, and He is not going to keep anything secret, He's given you some promises that you need to believe on. Now, when you get down to 16, again, you shouldn't be turned there. You can, you can write this down, but uh, it says, uh, in 16 it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. And basically He's saying, you know, so that you can go out and bring forth fruit. 
Notice it says, I have chosen you, you have not chosen me. What does chosen mean? Think about that. There's a whole TV series called Chosen. Do you know what it, why they picked the name Chosen? Because it's talking about the disciples. They were the chosen, right? Now in chapter 6, that's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It, it's a long chapter. You do not want me to read this whole chapter. It's 71 verses. Why is it that chapter 6 got all those verses? That doesn't seem fair. Chapter 2, what does it have, 25? That's not fair. Why, didn't they, why did they not even it up a little bit better when they put chapters and verses in here? You know, the original letter that John wrote, or this gospel that John wrote, he didn't, he didn't start out with uh, chapter 1, verse 1. There was none of that there. He just wrote it. He was inspired to write it, and he wrote it. None of this had chapters and verses, but at some point, chapters and verses got assigned, so wouldn't it make more sense to even them out a little bit better? I think the Holy Spirit had a hand in chapters and verses. Chapter 6, it, and this, is, this is some rough stuff here. And let's see here. I wish I could, I could read it all. We don't have time for that. Some of you are like, thank goodness. This is all good. But it's talking about Jesus being the bread of life. And in 35 it says, and you, all, everybody should be here. This is John 6, verse 35 says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. We're going to be eating of the bread and of the wine up here, the, 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 the juice of the, of the grape, right? That's what we got up here. We're going to be eating. It's a symbol of Jesus' body and his blood. Now, as you read through this, it talks about your fathers did eat manna. See, that manna was a type and picture of Jesus coming down to earth. Isn't that awesome? From way back then. And then if you keep reading, in, uh, in 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give his, us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and this is words in red here, this is Jesus speaking right here. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Listen closely. 
Many, therefore, of his disciples... Now, there's way more than just the twelve at this point. Now, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doeth this offend you? What, what, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, or makes alive, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. After seeing all of this, there are still some that believe not. And then it says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that, uh, they were that believed not and should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Now listen to this. This is, notice, this is chapter 6, verse 66. 666. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Are you going to be deceived by the Antichrist? Are you going to take the mark? The 666? Are you going to? It just so happens that this is John 666 that says that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now you're starting to see why this chapter has so many verses in it. Because you would have never had a 666 if you would have evened them out. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? He looked right at those twelve. Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now remember what I was talking about, chosen? You know, there's, some, there's people who call themselves Calvinists that say, you know, God has chosen you, you can't choose him. And you never can. There's nothing good in you, you can't choose him. They'll even say that it's predetermined. You know, he saves some and some he don't. Hmm. So it's God's fault if you don't come. That's basically what you're saying. So you won't choose Jesus until he's chosen you. Now, he has chosen you. Oh, but preacher, don't the Bible say that many are called but few are chosen? That's only in Matthew. Two places in Matthew... And that's talking about kingdom principles. You must be called and you must be chosen, but as Revelation 17 says, you also must be faithful. When the enemies come up against Jesus in the end times and they, go, they make war with the, uh, the Lamb of God, the Lamb, the, those who are with me have been called, have been chosen, and are faithful. That's the key right there, faithful. What, what is this chapter 11 of Hebrews that we've been on? It's by faith. 
Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, by faith, by faith. So, if somebody says, well, God chose them, does that mean salvation? Does that mean you're good to go because God chose you? If Jesus chose you, then you should be good, right? What's the next verse say? Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Did Judas Iscariot go to heaven? No, he didn't. But he was chosen by Jesus Christ himself. Each and every one of you have been chosen by Jesus because of what he did on the cross. He's made it available to you. He's chose you, but he will never make you choose him. Will you choose him today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to give out these elements, Father, the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ, Father, as we distribute this cup of this grape juice that represents the shed blood of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we get to do this in remembrance of you, Father, I pray that each and every person here will make a decision that will come to understand that Jesus has chosen us and he wants to know if we will choose him. Father, I pray that we will choose Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your many blessings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.